Well, I grew up in a household there was a lot of drinking and alcoholism and, you know, where was home for me? I didn't have a home. I didn't feel like I, I was not safe. And so what did I do? I, I just looked, you know, I went and looked for that surrogate father, you know, for, for me. And then, you know, Minnesota was a place I went home in the summers and that was a place of respite. And that's where I got a part of my play because my grandfather sat in this big green chair and he never moved from his big green chair. And, and, I, and, and he was the, I thought he was the breadwinner, but my grandmother was the breadwinner. She was from the, from the Great Depression. She's the one who brought, brought home the living. And I thought, wow, what a great thing to put in my play, right? Hi, this is Stephanie Fallon. And this is Tony Russo. And you're listening to another episode of So What's Your Story? A podcast in which we talk to authors and writers about their writing, their stories behind the story, the writing process, and any other sort of miscellaneous writing stuff that we want to talk about. Today on the podcast, we have actor and playwright Michael O'Leary. For 20 years, he was the face and voice of Dr. Rick Bauer on the Emmy Award-winning CBS daytime show Guiding Light. Now, Michael is throwing himself into a new role. His first full-length play, Breathing Under Dirt, premiered this past summer at the Ella Fitzgerald Performing Arts Center at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore. Michael called on a few of his friends from The Guiding Light to bring his characters to life. The play, set against a southern backdrop, delves into the issues of loss and redemption and reconciliation. Breathing Under Dirt received positive reviews from the DC Metro Theater Arts, One critic noted, O'Leary's winding, gritty, and bumpy dirt road of an American tale leads us finally to grace, and through its grace, we find nourishment for our souls and learn to breathe again. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm totally psyched that you are here, and I just, I feel like I've got to get it out of the way. Tony knows this is coming. I'm going to fangirl out for a hot second, but, you know, I grew up watching you on The Guiding Light, and uh, you and Philip Spaulding were my Beau and Luke Duke of daytime television. Wow. Yeah. Well, I don't mean that in a bad way. Wow. No, it's a good way. I had, I was like, so I had, you know, Bo and Luke Duke and then I had, I had you and Philip. And, yeah. Oh man. Bromance. It was a bromance, Philip and Rick, right? I mean, yeah, guys, everybody loved Philip and Rick. Well, you guys are friends in real life though. He's, uh, Grant's my best friend in real life. Yeah. Oh, that is, so that is a bromance. Yeah, it is bromance. I mean, that's what kind of made it all work is, um, Grant and I became best friends, uh, almost immediately. And, and that, you know, people loved watching that on screen, and and, it, and uh, we we made sure that no matter if he cheated on my girlfriend or I cheated on his girlfriend, at the end of the day, we'd still make up and be best friends. Oh, oh that's was, that was one of our rules. Oh, that that is that's an important rule. <laughs> There's no honor among thieves. No, but. Right. So that was sort of that that romance, that chemistry, I guess, that you developed right. with, with Grant Alexander, who played Philip Spaulding. Um, that kind of uh, kind of springboarded or kind of led. Was he kind of a, a natural pull for you when you decided to do Breathing Under Dirt? I could not have done this without Grant. Um, that that's one of the things I, I try to tell actors and playwrights and people. It's like you build a community. Your community is so important. Um, with Guiding Light, um, even seven years after the show was canceled, I called Beth Chamberlain, Grant Alexander, and Tina Sloan. I said, I have this little 20-minute play. Can you guys be a part of it? And they said yes right away. And so we did it at the Manhattan Repertory Theater. Um, and we got it up on its feet. And because soap actors know how to work fast and do it, um, um, you know, we only, I think we had two rehearsals. That's it. And we got it up and, and it won, won first place. Out of, and there were what, 30? 30, 30 other plays, yeah. 
That is yeah. fantastic. So, so what? I, I think I read also that there were some real life components that kind of inspired right. you to write this way. I think you wrote it what last November. Um, I started kind of toying around a little bit, in a, you know, last year, but I really started writing it in February of this okay. year. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'm from a um, I'm an adult child of an, from an alcoholic family, and um, um, part of this journey uh, as um, a writer is that I had to. Um, I had to deal with forgiveness and reconciliation in my own life and come to terms with forgiving my father, who was, um, was an alcoholic, and I, I would say a rageaholic, actually, and um, coming to terms with somebody who's passed on. And sometimes, you know, how, how do you forgive somebody who's passed on? Well, you can. You can come to uh, some peace about that. Um, and that's kind of the journey of this play, was navigating that those topics of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so... <clears throat> When you're kind of, when you're moving from reading the words that have come from someone's mind, mm -hmm. and now you're, not to be cliche, flipping the script, right? right, right. Now you're on the the other side. You're right. the one giving voice with the actors. Right. Can you kind of talk me through what that sure. process is like for you? Um, Robert and I, uh, my buddy Robert Forster, who really kind of helped me, you know, make all of this happen. We're talking on the right here, is. <clears throat> For every budding playwright or writer, I would highly recommend taking an acting class, um, and for actors to take playwriting classes because that helps you develop uh, your voice um, for characters. It helps you feel like a rhythm. Uh, it helps you um, put yourself in the shoes of characters that you, you know, want to develop. So even if you have no interest in being an actor, um, I would recommend every playwright to take an acting class. So you're not asking them to do things that are either dumb or impossible. No. Or not too dumb or not too impossible. Right. I think that um, I, I encourage um, part of my workshop that I'll you know, talk about in a second is I want every actor and writer to think of themselves as a producer. Hmm. And so, you know, you're, you're producing your own, whether it's a book or a play or a script. Um, the only way to really fully encompass that in, in, a, in a full way is to put yourself in the other shoes um, in this case, you know, um, being an actor for 25 years prepared me for the moment to write my first play. Actually, I wrote a play before this, but, but it helped me have an ear for dialogue um, to help me put myself in the position of, of playing a character. Um, and after you do so many different roles, um, you know, there's attorneys that take acting classes. There's people that have no interest in being an actor at all, but do it because it helps them be their best self. It's like public <clears throat> spe speaking 301 for grown-ups. Like right. You, you get to be comfortable in front of people. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, though, um, about making your own thing, because that's what I think is awesome about right. it. You're going to increasingly, be because, because of the Internet and mm -hmm. also because of the whether things are kind of fractured, we can make our own things and make them happen. Absolutely. Because you don't need a network suit to produce your idea. Um, I did a, a web series called Steamboat. Um, gosh, I mean, I did the whole thing for like 500 bucks. And how did I do that? Well, uh, I knew a director, Scott Bryce, who was in As Will Turns, who I knew was a director. And I'd say, hey, Scott, you know, I have this web series, you know, this idea. We met, he read, he goes, this is funny. Hey, I have a studio I work out of. Maybe I'll, you know, it's asking for favors. So he says, hey, I'll talk to them and maybe I'll get a crew. So he gets the crew together. I get the actors together. And boom, we shoot this web series in one day for nothing. Right. So um, 
Yeah, you don't have to. It's not incomprehensible with the, the web um, to produce your own projects and get it out there. And I thought it was cool that you found a place here where you could, where you could perform. We don't, we don't get enough, although, although we're getting more, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pointing to Jeff off yeah. camera. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, um, but we, we're getting more. But to, to, have, uh, to have plays come here is increasingly happening, but also still really exciting that, that we're cultivating, that we're a market that people think is worth cultivating. Well, I mean, and th- this is how this, I'm a huge proponent of social networking. Facebook made this play happen for me. So part two to this play was, you know, I went to the Manhattan Repertory. Um, they offer budding playwrights, you know, 10 minute, 15, 20 minute, you know, it was 20 minutes and under. So I can do that. I have this idea. I wrote it. Um, we got it up and we got a chance to put it up in front of, you know, a great audience of, of people who make decisions in New York. Um, we sold out, we got standing ovations, and it won first place. Now, what was my commitment? What was my financial commitment to that $150? Right. And for that, I got, uh, got lighting, sound, everything all done, and all I had to do was show up. You know, and part of life is just showing up <laughs> and just doing and saying, well, what if I fail? What? Put in the work. Who cares? It was, it was a little black box theater, not half the size of this room that f- had 50 seats. And it just got a chance just to get it up on its feet. Right. Well, I think, you know, just having a chance to, <clears throat> and that's kind of what we do here at Saltwater. We kind of help people take these things that have been in our minds and then put them on paper and really bring them to life in a real way. So right. it sounds like that was not necessarily bringing the pages to life, but that was really for your mind to see patients right. in the restroom, like actually there and in the flesh and right. living and talking and talking the things that had been a part of you in your mind. Right. I mean, I imagine that was pretty incredible. Yeah, it, the, 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 the relationship between a playwright and, and actors is a very intimate relationship and, and um, to finally just write it down and then you hear it. And Grant, who is an actor who I've always respected, he says, Mikey, I gotta hear it for me, for it to make sense. Well, how, you know, as a playwright, when you write it, unless you have actors performing, unless you're workshopping, unless you're getting on its feet, you, unless you hear it, you just don't, it, it's not organic for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a very manageable format. Uh, my play was maybe 15, 16 minutes. We got it up on its feet. It's the first 16 plays, pages of, of Breathing Under Dirt. We got it up, and then, they, and then uh, Robert contacted me from Lower Shore here in Maryland and said, hey, bring your play here. That's how we found out about it. And wow. I said, oh gosh, now I have to write the next 50 pages of this. <laughs> now I have to do a full-length play. Right. And then in April, I wrote the rest of the play. And, uh, and then we brought it here, and we had two or three rehearsals, and we got it up. Yeah, I was just wondering how, like, you, how you made that transition from having this thing in you know, a 20-minute you know, component mm-hmm. in New York, right. and then it appears at the Ella Fitzgerald here, in right. the, here on the good old Eastern Shore Mound. Well, this is what I tell for people who are playwrights, and, you know, is that um, this happened because uh, we, we collaborated with a theater group here. So a nonprofit theater group, which there's a lot of them throughout the country, who are looking for people talented like yourselves who are trying to find a way to collaborate to bring content to their theater, right? Rather than have to, because it's renting, because you have to buy the play anyway. Right. If you want to do whatever our town is. So that's exactly what we did. We had a, we had a financial arrangement uh, with Lower Shore. 
uh, of which they said, look, all right, we're going to provide the theater. We'll provide the sound. We'll provide this. We'll, we'll take care of the rental. We'll take care of this. All you guys have to do is show up. And then we, they were kind enough to put us up at different places. People, um, so we didn't have the hotel. That's super punk rock, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's down and dirty, man. <laughs> uh, hey, I could say. So uh, we, I stayed at. Uh, we stayed at nice, great places, and you know, actors of our had just put a roof over our head and feed us, and we're 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 perfectly okay. Um, and so we stayed here in Lower Shore, and I got to tell you, it was one of the best experiences of my life. The people down here are so incredible and so hospitable, and. Um, and we just got down to it. You know, daytime actors work fast. We had two or three days to rehearse. I think we got in on Monday. Uh, and we rehearsed uh, to, through Wednesday. And then we put it up. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. No, we put it up on Saturday. So we had, we, had, we had the week to sort of flush it out. Right. Yeah. Um, you're, so you're starting this new project now where, where you'll be giving lessons. And yeah. I know just enough about acting lessons to be offensive. So I yeah. apologize. Is this from like a, a, is there a particular school that you espouse? <clears throat> or is... Well, I, I studied with, you know, some really wonderful acting teachers, Stella Adler, um, uh, Larry Moss, who um, teaches out in, uh, in California, um, Bill Asper. And so I take that collective um, knowledge from those three wonderful teachers, and I'm doing an acting workshop tomorrow um, from 1 to 5 at the Glad Tidings Church um, in Pocomo, right? And uh, it, it's all ages. Doesn't matter mm -hmm. how old you are, or whatever. Um, I'm I'm bringing my knowledge, which is, you know, um, actors spend 99% of their time um, uh, being an actor and 1% acting. Right. So what I'm trying to think is prepare themselves to be their own CEO. You know, how to use social networking, how to pick an agent, and manager, headshots, all the things from meeting a, a casting director, walking through. This really incredible—it's—it's—it's it's, it's incongruous to the rest of acting that you spend ten minutes meeting a casting director, and it's—it's it's so different than anything you'll ever do, and it throws a lot of actors off. So I walk them through the audition process about what that actually looks like, what right. to do, what not to do, and then we get right down to it. We start doing some auditioning and scene work, and—and that's—that's going to be the afternoon. And is this something that you hope to continue to do? Like, is there a if if because the, if they're hearing this on iTunes, it's over now. Yeah. So are they going to get another bite at the apple or? Yeah. Well, um, uh, this is something I'm very passionate about, and um, uh, you know there'll be they, this won't be filmed tomorrow. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and really, you know, uh, you can't replicate filming this. I mean, it, you can get some knowledge of it, um, but there's nothing like just getting the experience and and walking through it with people. And I love working with with actors. Um, really what I want to do is empower actors and playwrights. So if you're a playwright and you want to come to an acting class, this is the acting class to come to, even if you're just doing it as an observer. Mm -hmm. um, or I would actually recommend throwing yourself into it and actually auditioning and going through it. Because um, you, know, you don't know what you don't know. And it, it, it could not hurt a playwright to actually take an acting class and, be, and, and give it a shot. Now, when you say, a moment ago, you said something, and I kind of chuckled, and you said spend most of their time being an actor and 1% right. actually acting. Yeah, actors, you know, painters paint, dancers dance, and actors wait, right? <laughs> and so actors are wait. They're waiting for this phone to ring, and they're waiting and waiting and waiting. And so why, you know, um, I call it have a plan for your day. So wake up in the morning 
and have a plan for your day. Now, what do you do? Well, a lot of actors wait tables. I actually recommend real estate. Um, get your real estate license. Um, I know this, like, oh, I'm going to go to LA. I'm going to be a big star. And no, you're going you're gonna to wait. You're going you're gonna to wait. You're going to go through some tough times. You have to be kept busy um, and prepare yourself uh, as an actor. Well, what does that mean? Um, getting a job at a theater, getting a job at a casting office where they do commercials, you know, um, keeping yourself involved in the business aspect of working 15, 18 hours a week and giving yourself a time to go out and audition for things. As soon as you're in a cubicle working nine to five, it's done. It's over. You can't get yourself, you can't get yourself out there. So it's having one toe in the business pond and one toe in the creative pond and knowing that if you're in the business, you want, you want to be over here, but you also have to feed yourself and take care of, you know, mm-hmm. your business. Right. Yeah. So as I just had, like, I know I have always sort of conceived of myself as a writer ever since mm-hmm. I was young. When you were growing up, um, did you conceive yourself as an actor or was this playwriting component, this desire to be a playwright, was that sort of percolating at the same, were they both happening or was it yeah. one, one sort of fed the other? I always been a writer. I, I, I love comics and I used to write comics when I was a kid, these, my own comic strip and my own stuff. And I was writing dialogue and, and I'm, I'm really silly. I'm just a silly guy. And, um, so I would write my own scripts, you know, I would do it for relatives that would come over and I would make up these, these scenes. So I always had a percolating in me. And then I wrote this play called Red Rain, which I'm going to workshop um, soon, that preceded Breathing Under Dirt. Breathing Under Dirt was inspired by Red Rain. And the way Breathing Under Dirt came about was <clears throat> I wrote, um, a very good friend of mine took this play to a, a very um, um, famous artistic director in New York City. He read it, he goes, I love this play, but the female character's not developed. I want you to develop this female character. And so I went back to the drawing table and I just wrote a monologue about her life prior to this play. So like an anthology idea. So I wrote the monologue and I wrote this monologue and I go, there's a play here, there's a play. And I sort of thought, oh, she's got her own life separate from this other play. And that's how how Breathing on the Dirt came about. Now, um, to go back to to go back to the to, to the Red Rain. Right. Um, this is before. Was this when when you were a kid? Kid? Was this before you were acting? Is this while you were acting? This is while I was on Guiding Light. So um, yeah. making the transit. Like many of us, many of us start off in the arts and then chicken out at the last moment. Yes. And so, can you talk about like the decision to make that to make that jump to embracing the arts rather than getting a nine to five job. Sure. Um, like anything else, we all have mentors, whether it's a writer or acting teacher or, you know, and for me, um, I was, you know, I guess I was 21 or 20 or, and I was working doing, doing commercials and some very, very horrific, bad movies and, uh, was poking around and I was having fun, but there wasn't that, that fire. It was just like a hobby. And then I heard about Stella Adler, uh, who has you know since passed away? Who was considered one of the preeminent? Besides, you know, she came from the Stanislavski school. Right. It was Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler. You you, you named three people. Stella Adler yeah. was the only one. Yeah. <laughs> so Stella Adler came to Los Angeles. She did a script interpretation of Tennessee Williams, and she showed how she created the character Blanche uh-huh. when she did it on Broadway years and years ago. And I sat there and I was totally mesmerized by her. 
this woman who had to be 80 at the time with so much vitality and showing how she created Blanche on Broadway. And I was just, I go, wow, this is an art. This is something I want to do. I want to, and at that moment, I made a decision that I was going to become an actor and nothing was going to stop me because now I saw this was just not playtime. This was something that um, is just a beautiful, inspirational, from the soul thing that we, that um, I, I totally embraced. And I studied with her again. I did her script interpretation class. And that's when I started like, you know, people say, why didn't you write back then? Well, I wasn't ready to write. I had a lot of growing up to do. Right. You know, and part of being a writer is just sort of the school of hard knocks and kind of like having some life experience behind you. And so, um, well, and, yeah. and one, I think one of the things that, that many of the arts have, have in common <clears throat> is that there is that transition from, oh, I'm doing this because it's fun to I'm doing this because I don't have another choice. Like, I, this is something that I have to do. That's, you hit the nail right on the head. You know, it's like, I have, I have no other choice. This is, my whole DNA is I'm an artist. I see ballet, I, I can see a woman from across the room and say that she's a ballet dancer. You just see it. It's in their whole DNA. Mm. Um, there are certain people who just say, I, you know, I don't know what else I would do if I wasn't this. And so even people that give it up, that go back to the nine to five, they're still playing the guitar. They're still, they're still right. singing. Or they'll die. You know, there's something that, that there's a flame in there. If you're an artist, if you don't do it, you'll just, you'll wither. And that's the tough thing, especially for an actor, is that, like, I... You know, I can, I can, I can always write. If, if you, if you have a guitar, you can always play your guitar. Like you, right? I guess get bored of. I mean, you could like the neighbors would call. I guess if yeah. you just monologues all day to yourself. Like you need <laughs> at least an audience and hopefully one other actor. You know, Larry Moss told me. You know, Larry Moss, who <clears throat> I highly recommend um, uh, playwrights and people that are listening to this today to just go to YouTube and see his lectures. On, on writing and acting, and um, he's just, he's brilliant. And part of what he says is, uh, look, you know, um, there are actors who just want to do community theater. There's actors who just act for the sake of acting. He goes, you know, it's a gift to get paid for it, but just do it because it's what, you're, what God's calling is in right. your life. You know, it's what that, it's what, how God designed you, you know. And, Going back to Stella Adler is, you know, when you when you do like Tennessee Williams and you're you're doing a play and it's about the South and it's you can't be common. It's it's sort of like, you know, with nature, it's <clears throat> you can't when you're creating your 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 um, sense of place, you have to do your research on it as a playwright. Mm. Um, when I was writing Breathing Under Dirt, I called a tobacco farmer in North Carolina and talked to him for two days about tobacco. I don't know anything about tobacco, right. but it's in the. I, I put it in the play. It's only three pages of dialogue, but wow, what did I find out about tobacco? Well, these beautiful flowers bud from tobacco leaves, and in the play, I'm going to have you know, in order for the tobacco to live, something beautiful. The, the flowers have got to come out of the tobacco for the tobacco to live. Right. Wow, that's a great thing in the play, right? Something beautiful has to die in order for something to live. And in the play, there's this drought, and the tobacco dies, and these flowers, this poor woman is just, she's lost, and she's lost in the malaise of her alcoholism until she faces the fact of who she really is. And so using nature, 
whether it's the, you know, I always try to put nature into, into my writing, you know. It'll, it'll fit pretty easily, like if you, um, we, we've been, my, my wife and I have been hiking regularly lately, and it's something that I hadn't, been, I hadn't done in a while, and it's one of the things that I recalled about it the last time we were out is, you know, if you stand still for a minute and just look for a minute, Things don't just come to focus. Things come to in, into existence. You just like, right. oh, that is there. And so nature is a really, the metaphors are just dying. Just, just pick oh, one. Right. I'm not a. I'm not a. Uh, I don't. I'm not a botanist. I'm not. I've. You know, anything I plant dies. <laughs> um, but why am I so fascinated by nature, the soil and the earth, and it's just part of. It's God's creation. It's part of life, and so it fascinates me as a writer to 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 study it and to investigate it and, and particularly with this character of patience who you know who's who lives her life in the garden so i have to i had to educate myself about garden and flowers and and do research on it you know and is it is it fun not necessarily but but all you need is just one you know it gave once this farmer said oh yeah yeah those 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 beautiful flowers have got to come out they got to die in order for the tobacco to live. And I go, wow, I got the through line for my play. Yeah, that's, that's the seed. Yeah. You know, it's a literal and a, yeah. and a figurative seed that kind of kind of springs forward. And when you were talking about, you know, DNA and we talk about earth and landscape, these are all, you know, things that remind me of connectivity, our connectivity to the planet and the planet to mm -hmm. us and then our art and then how these things kind of come. And as you were talking, I kept having this thought, like, you know, we see ourselves as actors and playwrights and writers and and these and painters and all this mm -hmm. so we like we as a being we see the art and then in turn when we do that art the pieces that make us kind of come out so your experiences mm -hmm. growing up right. you know in that household right. you know you're kind of pushing back into the art you know just as you know the seeds in the earth you know things kind of there's this constant ebb and flow and there's this recycling component so as you're talking like that's kind of what i'm what I'm seeing in, in your work is that there's these the cyclical nature of both the art mm -hmm. and and with the with the work with the earth. Well, it's part of you know it's like you know we try to find what our authentic self is, to look fearlessness fearlessly at our own brokenness, and I believe that that's where good writing and 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 things that are compelling is to really look at it in an honest way at your own brokenness, <clears throat> and. So what does that mean for me? Well, I grew up in a household there was a lot of drinking and alcoholism and you know, where was home for me? I didn't have a home. I didn't feel like I you know, it was not safe for me. And so what did I do? I, I just looked, you know, I went I looked for that surrogate father, you know, for, for me. And then, you know, Minnesota was a place I went home in the summers and that was a place of respite. And that's where I got a part of my play because my grandfather sat in this big green chair and he never moved from his big green chair. And, and I and and he was the I thought he was the breadwinner, but my grandmother was a breadwinner. She was from the from the Great Depression. She's the one who brought brought home the living. And I thought, wow, what a great thing to put in my play, right? That here was this man who got dressed up in a suit and tie every day and read books about Winston Churchill and Abraham Lincoln. He read about great leaders who were fearless, but he was full of fear. He was full of fear. So all of those things, you know. Um, are just really, you know, they're rich. And, they, and we draw these things from our, you know, from our childhood. One of the questions I, I wanted to ask you about was this, the, the, the component of the audience. 
And I know that there's a scene uh, in Breathing Under Dirt where the actual audience is kind of pulled right. into the play. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it kind of, when I, when I read about that scene, and I apologize, I didn't get to see yeah. the play, um, but when I read about that scene, it kind of reminded me a little bit about you being on daytime TV. You were in our homes, you were in my home mm -hmm. every, you know, Monday through Friday, right. and even on the holidays, you know, mm -hmm. so, like, you... It seems like you were almost purposefully I was. connecting, saying, hey, yeah. look, I mean, the reason you have 5,000 fans on Facebook is because yeah. people feel like they know you. I mean, I feel like I know you. You know, right. like, so there's that connection again. And then all of a sudden you have this play where you're like, right. hey, guys, I'm still, I'm still reaching across right. that divide. Do you know something? Um, and I, and I, I say this with the greatest amount of, of humility and respect for my audience is the soap opera audience from getting are the most loyal people you'll ever meet in your life. If it wasn't for them, this play would not have been possible. Um, our plans to go to Pennsylvania uh, next year would not be possible. Um, none of it would be possible if I didn't have those people wanting to be connected to us. There's this, there's this cyclical give and take that we have with them. They're not just fans. They, they really truly are part of the fa our, our family. And they've seen me grow up on the show. Um, they want to see what the next steps are for us in our future. They want us to see us succeed. There's a great book um, called um, The Touching Point, where even it's about people that you don't necessarily know, but are your advocates. That's part of being, you know, we have so many advocates out there, and they're not necessarily family members or people you know, but people you don't know who are your advocate who want to see you, you know, succeed. So, you know, going to Pennsylvania, which we hope to do, I, I had a, I went out there um, with no other expectation other than sort of you know get a committee formed um, to have a um, a foundation of uh, support if we go out there. Fifteen women showed up at Panera. We sat down. We had these different committees, and then somebody says, "I know somebody." I was trying to get some underwriting because the play is about addiction, and you know, that looks like it might happen. Right. And it all happened from two days being out there for doing nothing other than showing up and having that support group there. And then you talked about earlier building building communities and yeah. building networks, um, making sure you, you always know someone or know someone who knows someone. If you're... Right. If, if, if people can stand to be around you. Right. <laughs> and you're not afraid right. to reach out and say, I need help. It's not unlike the business world. We, we as artists got to learn something from the business world because networking is networking. Um, so I tell actors, show up, you know, at question today at the university, say, well, what, how can I keep improving my craft? Well, show, see as many movies as you can, show up to many readings as you can, um, volunteer to do readings, um, you know, move the cable, just, you, just show up, just be there. You know, I got the job on Guiding Light. I was an usher at CBS, and I heard about the audition at Guiding Light. I just, I just crashed the audition, and I read with 10 women. There was no part for me. I went home. They called me. They fired the other Rick Bauer, and they hired me. That's how it happened. I didn't compete against any other actors. I just happened to show up at the right time. And we all know that a lot of it is just luck, but you, you create your own luck by just, by just showing up. Yeah, be, be, being good doesn't hurt. No, treat people with respect and dignity at all times. I don't like, um, I have no tolerance for people that are disrespectful. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's, and I think, I always say, you know, I, I feel as a writer, you, uh, you know, we write these things, many times they're personal, many times they are very, 
they have a lot of depth and we put a lot of ourselves into what we're doing and then when you put it out there i've always kind of made the the statement that it feels like you're kind of exposing your soft underbelly to the world and you're just hoping no one's standing there you know with a sharp stabby thing you know ready so i think that you know respect among among mm -hmm. your peers and then from your audience i think that's always a I, for me, I think sometimes that lends to the fear of, oh my gosh, if I put this thing out there, everyone hates it, you know. Yeah, but that's it, you know, getting a, a gathering of writers together at somebody's house and just having somebody read it out loud and getting some opinions some feedback on it, that's a great way of writers, you know, getting together and just, you're writing, hey, I wrote this monologue, let's get together off coffee, or, and can you just, can you read it? And then just get some, some feedback on it. You know, you have to have a very, um, um, you can't have a fragile eagle as a writer because, you know, you're always, you know, you're always cutting stuff. I, I reach out, I, Jeff is, I've reached out to Jeff many times um, to get his opinion because I so respect his opinion on, on, on the material. And we love Jeff too, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff Smith uh, off camera over there. He's got a, yeah, he's got a, that, that guy back there. Uh, <clears throat> he's, uh, Jeff Smith is awesome. He's the author of Masabi Pioneers and just all around awesome guy. Yeah. He's been on the podcast. Awesome man. Awesome. Yep. I'm going to interrupt now and say that we're running up against the clock, which doesn't mean we have to stop broadcasting, but this is the part of the show where you thank the guests. Oh, yeah. So, Michael, thank you well, very much for uh, being on the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure having you here. Thank you. So What's Your Story was recorded at Saltwater Media, an indie book publisher in Berlin, Maryland. Want to hear more? Visit www.saltwatermedia.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. Want other people to hear more? Give us a great review there. Tell your story.